Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined once again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, guys. Andrew, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. It's a regular season week. We finally moved on. We are Mm. technically on to Cincinnati. That's what we are officially on to is the Minnesota Vikings prepare to start the regular season against the Bengals. They've got roster cuts. They've got a new tight end. They've got a new injury. They've got a new quarterback. And we've got a new taco bed. So we've got a lot to get to. Oh, that's mm. a lot. That's a lot. Everything's new. It's a good tease. That's a good tease. <laughs> Get people true. wet a lot of appetites there. <laughs> uh, but we should probably start with the Herb Smith injury. He goes down Friday in Kansas City. Do- actually, he doesn't go down. He w- played all of his plays. He walked to the podium afterward. He spoke to all of us. He walked away afterward. No uh, indication anything was wrong. I'd actually asked him about the potential of this offense, not having Dalvin Cook, Jefferson feeling out there in the preseason. And he went as far as to say this could be a scary offense. And then he walked away, and we had no idea he would never take part in that offense this year. So a bizarre injury uh, in terms of how it happened because it was totally under the radar. Um, But he's out for the year after undergoing knee surgery. The Vikings traded for Chris Herndon. Uh, Ben, how does this limit the Vikings offense in in terms of their skill position talent, which was already pretty stacked, but this was a guy they were going to rely on quite a bit. Yeah, faithful trip to Kansas City, as it turns out, because Chad Beebe got hurt in that game as well. And that may be the end of Chad Beebe in Minnesota. He's on waived injured uh, four to five months on injured reserve, basically to rehab a foot injury that happened in that game. So you can figure out probably it's probably a list, Frank. I don't know for sure, but could be that. But he's out. More importantly, Irv Smith is out. And uh, the fact that this team is in this spot speaks to a lot of what we've talked about as the big concern here is the lack of depth. They are very, very top heavy have been for a while. That's been the, the kind of the the line they've walked for the last few years where they don't have a lot of depth because of all of these guys that they've tried to pay. But now I think they are walking that line um, as precariously as they have probably in my time on the beat. I was talking about this with one of the other writers the other day. And the the variance that could happen with this team, I, I think is probably about as much as and this is year 10 for me on the beat. I, I think this is this is a team that would not surprise me if they go 11 and 6, 12 and 5, because they have a lot of top end talent. It would not surprise me if they are on the other side of that where they win six games because things go bad, people get hurt and they just don't have the answers for it because not only do they have a lot of money tied up in the guys at the top of the roster, they have money tied up. Let's not forget in guys who aren't here, there's a lot of dead money that they are carrying as well. So that's made it so that the, the middle class of the roster that we talk about quite a bit hasn't been there. And I think the, the, the injury to Irv Smith, the fact that they don't have a lot of, proven commodities in the receiving core beyond Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen is all kind of part of this, that they just don't have as much depth as they would probably like. And a lot of that is the way they're set up and it makes it so that you are uh, kind of rolling the dice to try to get through a 17 game season and hope that this team has the potential or has the ability to capitalize on all the potential it has. 
Yeah, Mike, what did you think when you heard the news about Irv Smith? And I guess I'm curious to get your thoughts too on what Ben just said about the variance and how this season could go. Well, I'll start with the variance. I mean, I think we've talked about that for multiple weeks, and I absolutely think it's true. I've said that to you know, just friends of mine have said that, you know, on, on other episodes of this show and other in daily delivery too. I feel like Ben's absolutely right. Like, I feel like the ceiling and the floor goes from like five to twelve wins, which is wild. Like in the NFL. Like that's a huge, like, you know, you can see some every year for like a middle of the pack team, you could imagine there being like a three to four win variance where it's like, yeah, you know, if, a, if you miss a kick, you make a kick, you know, turnover late in the game. There's, there's three or four games like that every year, but like, that's a wide range. And I think it's absolutely true. And for all the reasons Ben laid out and, you know, Irv Smith, it's just kind of a bummer, like, you know, from just a, watching football standpoint, I was excited to see what he could do this year. I think he was, you know, had showed some things in 2020 that made you think, wow, he could be a pretty good player. He could really complement a lot of the things they want to do. And you look at everything they have lined up and they still got a lot of other talented guys, but you talk about an offense where if Irv Smith is as good as they hope he could be, then you pair him with Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, you know, Kirk Cousins, and, you know, other, you know, a third receiver who can work the middle, you know, a slot guy like a D.D. Westbrook, like that's a pretty good offense. And it still can be a pretty good offense. But just to not see how he can operate in that space is it's, it's just too bad for him, too bad for the team. But it does expose, you know, the fact that they don't have a lot of depth. They have to go make a trade right away to fill that hole. And I think Tyler Conklin's a good player. I don't think that's necessarily the problem, but you got to they run a lot of two tight end sets. They want it. Irv Smith does things that Tyler Conklin can't do. And it just kind of shows, you know, up and down this roster, one injury or, you know, you know, being thin at a position, you know, like offensive line, they can't just go out and get another one. That's, that's really good because they don't have a lot of money to spend. They don't have a lot of room. It's just kind of the way they're set up is they're going to have to do the best they can when things like this happen. Yeah. And Tyler Conklin, who's going to step into the starting role here, he's not a lead footed player by any means, but he's not like Irv. I think Irv kind of brought that special where you're 250 pounds, 40 pounds, and you can still move basically like sometimes a slot wide receiver can and get open against linebackers, safeties underneath. Um, Conklin's going to be a little bit of a lesser version of that, certainly. And, and Ben and I watched in every camp practice, Smith was a go-to guy for Kirk. I mean, we mm -hmm. saw this throughout training camp where, you know, we in the media looked at each other and like this, the hype is coming from what we're seeing on the field, not just, Oh, this, it makes sense for this guy to make a leap. No, we were seeing Kirk find him down the field at every level of the field through this play action offense. Irv was often the guy leaking out of the formation and finding space underneath, or he was catching balls 20 yards downfield on post routes, go routes. They could do so much with him in the passing game that that's where it's going to hurt this offense. It's not so much, Oh, they're going to miss his blocking up front. He was plenty good at that too, but <clears throat> excuse me. This was a guy who could uh, really separate and, and be that kind of guy that Kyle Rudolph really wasn't. And so it sucks because it, it's a bummer for Irv because he really was looking like he was going to have a breakout year. And for this offense that really liked to lean on these heavy formations and kind of spring their tight ends loose. So I don't know. We need to see what Chris Herndon can do, but Ben, it seems like Tyler Conklin is going to be the guy stepping into that role right now. And Clint Kubiak said today that Brandon Dillon's going to have to step up as, as well because you're getting a guy from New York and, and Chris Herndon, who they traded for, that still needs to learn the playbook. 
Yeah, and I don't think Chris Herndon is necessarily the type of receiving option that Irv Smith or even Tyler Conklin has been. I, the, the rap on him has been good blocking tight end, but not necessarily the greatest in the world at getting separation, getting open, and has had some drops in the past as well. So he had been you know, a guy that they had factored into their plan, into their future. You get a new coaching staff in there, he slid down the depth chart, he becomes expendable. And these are how these trades always work, where you're trying to find the magic piece out of a list of players that somebody else decided they didn't want or found or decided were expendable. And that's sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But you do have to consider the fact that he was available is not because he hit free agency and you paid a lot of money and you got the best guy in the market. There, it does come with some reservations, given the fact that you're making this trade right at the deadline. But sometimes those trades bring in guys that play valuable roles and he doesn't have to come out and be, you know, Antonio Gates circa 2004 with the Chargers or something like that. He, he has to come out and be, I think, a valuable contributor in this offense to, to be a compliment probably to Tyler Conklin. And then you go from there. But it's um, yeah, it, it's a spot where they they use a lot. And Mike Zimmer has talked about maybe we go more three wide. I'm curious to see how much that will actually happen because they have made their offense on heavy personnel and you are going to come out and counter heavy personnel with a base defense and we can throw on that. And I think if you start to change some of that up, if you put a third receiver in there, they can't run out of those formations and they can't throw play action against heavy personnel on defense as much as they like to do. So I'm, I'm not sure that they're going to do as much of that as they're talking about either. Yeah. Especially on early downs. I think, you might see it on passing downs, third downs, where you see D.D. Westbrook come in and, and serve that kind of role. And this is where Westbrook becomes even more important to this team, because if you do want to spread things out when it's third and seven, whatever, third and long, you've got that opportunity now with Thielen, Jefferson and Westbrook. And it sounds like from coaching, from the coach's perspective anyway, that Westbrook has been contributing the past two weeks a lot with the first team offense. He's been healthy. And so even though he's kind of flown under the radar here from this ACL surgery, it seems like he's going to be ready September 12th in Cincinnati. And so that's going to help them there. But to your point, Ben, it's first and second down. It's, it's those plays where you want to fake a run on first down and go deep to the tight end. You're not going to have that kind of deep threat that Irv really was. And so Conklin's going to give you some of that, but it's just not going to be to the same level or threat that it would have been to a defense had it been Irv. So Irv's breakout's got to wait a whole nother year. They're going to plug in Chris Herndon as a depth piece and really try to move along with Tyler Conklin and Brandon Dillon in those spots. Um, guys, they also bring back another familiar face in Sean Mannion. The backup quarterback job is finally settled. The third straight year, Sean Mannion is going to be the backup quarterback. We all saw through the preseason, through training camp, Kellen Mond is not ready for that job. So as soon as Sean Mannion got released by Seattle, he had just spoke to the media today on Thursday and said, I was right after I got cut. The Vikings came calling said I boarded a flight at 5.30 in the morning, landed at 6 a.m., or landed, or excuse me, landed at 5.30, was at the hotel by 6 a.m., and he said he was right away at the Vikings facility. He was up something like 30 straight hours from getting released to flying to Minnesota. That's to Seattle be, Red Eye. To be their backup quarterback. Anybody who's covered a game in Seattle has done that Seattle Red Eye on the way back. But, Mike, I see you shaking your head. Clearly, your confidence has been restored in the backup quarterback job. Well, it's it's kind of funny. It's a it's a it's a reminder of 
how even when they drafted Kellen Mond, we needed to temper our enthusiasm because even if you thought, hey, this guy, this guy could be a bridge to the future, he is pretty raw. And um, now that they've brought back Sean Mannion, pretty clear what they think of him at this point. And let's not forget, Sean Mannion uh, was a third round pick. So like guys go from, hey, you got a lot of potential as a third round pick, like Kellen Mond, like Sean Mannion, pretty quick to uh, uh, maybe you can be a backup in this league. So kind of a, a reminder of what a third round pick is at quarterback. Those don't tend to work out, even if they have a lot of skills. So let's let's kind of maybe tap the brakes on any of the Kellen Mond enthusiasm, even if I think he did some better things as camp and especially that that third preseason game went along. Hey, Ben, at least he's vaccinated, right? Because we, we know that because Sean yep. Mannion was able to practice right away for the Vikings on Thursday. So they've got one vaccinated quarterback. At least. Well, let's be honest. They weren't going to bring in a quarterback who wasn't. They can't say that after we found out Urban Meyer got in trouble for basically telling the truth, but they weren't going to bring in a guy who wasn't. When you've got two that aren't, you have to have somebody that you know can go out there and play and isn't going to be subject to a close contact type rule. Um in the season. So yeah, I mean, that, that had to be part of the calculation. So the Vikings get Sean Mannion back. He'll be the backup Kirk cousins, the starter, and they'll just be waiting for the COVID protocols to interrupt their season. Like every team at some point, because yeah, they do not want to be the Denver Broncos starting receiver Kendall Hinton. I think it was at quarterback in week 12, like Denver had to last year. So the Vikings at least got a solution there at quarterback. Um, We should talk emergency quarterback is gone now. Their emergency pool. It was Kyle Rudolph last year, as we found out. So <laughs> that's right. He's not here either. So lots of uh, lots of changes in the quarterback depth chart that are, have to be considered. We know, yeah, we do know now that Adam Thielen is the emergency quarterback, and we learned that because they were without pretty much every quarterback in training camp for five days. There, they had Jake Browning and Adam Thielen at one point. Um, guys, we should talk about roster cuts. Do the Vikings trim their roster down to the initial fifty-three? Seems like they're rolling with a lot of what they had carried through the preseason of the camp. We didn't see a whole lot of waiver claims at this point. They bring in a tight end to help bolster that depth to a cast off from Jacksonville and Ben Ellison, who was a former NDSU product. Um, but other than that, it's the same specialist, same kicker, punter, long snapper. Everson Griffin got released and brought back quickly. Um, I guess, Ben, explain some of these roster moves. There's been a lot of questions from fans of like, why are we letting Everson Griffin go? Why are we letting Britton Colquitt go? just to bring these guys back one day later. Yeah, I'm going to try to do this more concisely than I did when Mike and I were talking before we started. The The basic idea here is wrapped up in the fact that they have this short-term injured reserve thing now where you have guys that you can designate to return in as little as three weeks. They've always had the short-term IR, or at least for the last probably six or seven years. But last year with COVID, they made it so that you could bring a guy back from injured reserve in as little as three weeks. And they also have relaxed the practice squad rules where you can put more veterans on the practice squad and they can be called up a couple of times before they have to be exposed to, to waivers. I guess the veterans wouldn't have to be exposed to waivers anyway. So in, in that case, maybe it doesn't matter, but you can call a guy up at least twice without having to expose him to waivers. So some of the way this works was based on that. And here's why all of this had to happen on Tuesday and Wednesday before they could kind of get things set. You to put a player on injured reserve and designate him for return this season, he has to make your initial 53 man roster. So, Irv Smith, even though he was always going to go on injured reserve, 
had to be on the initial 53 so that they could put him on IR a day later and say, we're designating the possibility that he returns this year. I think the idea that he does, based on the time frame we've heard, with the fact that he got his meniscus repaired and not trimmed, probably makes it unlikely he returns. But you want to leave yourself that option in case he's on the plan that Adrian Peterson was a couple of years ago when he came back from his meniscus in about, I think, 14 weeks or something like that. So guys like that, guys like Dan Shisena, can be designated for return if they are on the 53-man roster as of Tuesday when we had roster cut down. So that's why they had to do that, which then meant they had to get rid of some players that they felt like um, we can stand to lose because we can just bring you back a day later. Guys like Everson Griffin, guys like Britton Colquitt, Andrew DiPaolo, who all went through this this week, are vested veterans, which means they have played through their rookie contracts. They are older than that. So they are now vested in it's within the league's pension program and all this kind of stuff. But what it means is that they no longer have to go through waivers. So you cut them, you can basically say, hey, we're going to bring you back in like 24 hours. Just sit tight. Don't go sign with anybody else. You don't have to worry about the, the process of somebody picking you up that you may not want to play for. Just sit tight. We'll bring you back. It's not a big deal. So a lot of that this week has been different because all of these rules changed, both with the CBA last year and with all of the COVID changes, which hit right around the same time. So it's goofy. It's a little confusing, but it's a way for teams to try to stash more players, either on the practice squad, in some cases like Sean Mannion, or to basically kind of put them out to the side for a day or two before they can use the IR rules. Yeah, and basically they can have a handshake, wink, wink agreement with Everson and saying, yep. we know you're, you're not going to leave here, so we're going to release you, and then we'll just turn around and sign you right away when we do have the available roster spot after moving a guy onto injured reserve. So, Can they do that? Is that like, I mean, yeah, there's nothing like the, does that violate like the spirit of the rule or would the league be like, we don't really like handshake, wink, wink kind of things, or is they that just okay? respond by saying, Oh, we didn't do that. Okay. We're just having to work out. Okay. I mean, you can't prove it. Then, yeah. uh, right. There's nothing to show. Well, and then there's nothing against the rules, right? It's just, yeah, it might fly in the face of the spirit of the COVID rules with the practice squads and stuff, which is to give teams bigger roster space to store guys in case COVID impacts your season or, or I mean, quar- quarantines guys. Vikings could also say, hey, if there's anybody that needs to be worried about COVID impacting our season, we have the lowest vaccination rate in the league. So, yeah, and, and that didn't and that didn't change much from what we know in terms of who's at least been following protocols for unvaccinated players. The Vikings kept like because they had to because there's a lot of good players. Yes, they, they kept a lot of their unvaccinated players. Um, and they probably, because of that, they probably still have one of the lowest rates in the league, if not the lowest, um, because we still see obviously Harrison Smith, Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, they follow those protocols for unvaccinated players in the building, which you would think indicates they are still unvaccinated. If that is correct. And based on what we've been able to see in terms of masks and players wearing red wristbands, which does mean they're unvaccinated by our calculations, they're less than 80% vaccinated. Yeah, and that's I think the, the NFL had put out there in August when teams were still at 90 man rosters that all the teams had hit 75%, I think. But I think that the Vikings are still hovering right around there even after the roster cuts. Because yeah, it's so many prominent guys. Sheldon Richardson, Harrison Smith, all of them. Um, all right. Well, we should discuss as well 
um, the Harrison Smith contract extension. We did not get to that. Um, that happened after our last podcast last week. Harrison Smith signs a four-year uh, contract extension that theoretically might put him to the end of his career here in Minnesota. Uh, ben, we had heard from Harrison uh, this week, and it sounds like the priority for him was finding a way to stay here in Minnesota. Yeah, it was. I mean, he he talked about, you know, essentially wanting to be able to retire here. And I, he's going to have that option if he plays on this deal the whole way through. And I think that's an if, like it always is. I mean, the way this sets up, it basically makes it so that he gets a he gets guaranteed money in, in terms of a signing bonus. But you wouldn't really have to. I mean, if you felt like he's dropped off to the point that this isn't worth doing. I mean, if, if you thought that, you wouldn't assign him to this deal anyway. It, you, you clearly think he's going to be valuable beyond this year but they could cut him next year and they take a lot of dead money but they'd also save some cap space so I don't think that happens I, I think 2023 would be possibly more likely for that they'd save like 11 and a half million dollars if they cut him and uh, they, they'd take some dead money but it's it's kind of a classic Vikings contract in the sense that they stuck a lot of these um, rolling guarantees in it with a right. I mean, this one takes the form of a roster bonus more than a signing bonus, which also tells you they they want to push some of the cash to him earlier and, and be done with it. But the interesting thing with this one, the fact that they did do a roster bonus is, uh, I mean, you tie it to a guarantee next year so that that gives them a little bit more flexibility. But it also means that you push all of that money onto next year's cap, which is also not in great shape because of all this money they've pushed off. So it's an interesting one that way. And I, they're going to have a lot of the, manu- the same maneuvering to do next year that they've had to do this year, but uh, they still fairly clearly value him very highly and think he's going to be able to keep it up into his late thirties. And, you know, talking to him, he feels like a lot of the things that Terrence Newman did, a lot of the things he learned from Terrence Newman, a lot of the things that Mike Zimmer has done with older corners or defensive backs, Talked to Patrick Peterson about that this week, too. Patrick Peterson banking on the same thing that Harrison Smith is, that Terrence Newman did. So um, it's one that I think a lot of teams would have looked at it and said, mm, maybe not. We're, you know, he's going to be 33 next year. We're not sure if we want to do it. But the Vikings have been in this mode of we pay our people and we keep our people. And uh, we're going to roll with that. Yeah, Mike Zimmer, I think, even described the negotiations between the Vikings and Harrison Smith as long contract negotiations. This goes back to the spring when they were trying to get him under contract before this contract year that he was entering in 2021 under his old deal. This is seems like an unprecedented deal for a safety his age. I'd see some chart. I can't remember if it was over the cap or somebody put together a chart of comparable contracts for safeties who were of his age. And it was guys like Eric Weddle, Earl Thomas. Um, chancellor, I think maybe probably. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. And, and at the same time, like it, they were just so much lower and I know the markets raise up all the time, but, um, very, it, it was tough for those guys to reach contracts that still got them 10, 11 million a year. And Harrison's at 16, I think average yes. on this, on this new money. And so that's, that shows just how much they value him and the Vikings end up making him, I think the second highest paid safety based on that in the NFL. So they're clearly expecting him to play top five level throughout the uh, twilight of his career here. Mike, what did you think when you saw that? news? I wasn't, I wasn't shocked just because you know, knowing what they think of him, but 
the term was a little like, okay, that's a, that's a lot of money for a guy his age. Um, you know, and he's pretty physical player. You wouldn't say that speed is necessarily like his calling card. He's, he's a pretty intelligent player. So I would think that that plays into your mid thirties, but yeah, the, when I saw there was a four years, 64 million. And again, some of that's, you know, hypothetical money. That's not necessarily going to happen, but it, it was a pretty significant commitment. And like Ben said, does put them in this position where, you know, there's going to be a lot of future bills to pay and um, you know, and they still haven't, they haven't done an O'Neill extension yet. Have they? Is that? No, is that- I would expect that'll happen before the season starts. I, I mean, they've talked about the, that right tackle market being difficult, but in the end they pay. I mean, I, I think they'll get that done either this weekend or next weekend. Okay. So that's going to happen at least. So that was the one I thought would happen first. Maybe it doesn't really matter what order they come. Um, I mean, when the guys do and he's, he's played, this is going to be his 10th season, right? I mean, he's, he's been pretty durable. He's been a really good player for them. I mean, it's based on their MO based on kind of guys that have been in that similar age range that they've, you know, given one more deal to, it's not terribly surprising, but yeah, I guess, guess kind of knowing where they are as a franchise and committing that much to a safety of that age is maybe a little bit surprising. All right, gentlemen, before we get to Vikings questions from our weekly mailbag, you can always submit them to us on Twitter and find our Twitter Twitter handles, Twitter handles, at startribune.com. Guys, we should talk about uh, the taco bet, right? Yes. So we need to get into our longstanding bet that go, was it just last year we did this or was it the year before we started? 19. It was not, not 2020 because that was a weird year. 2019, we did it for the first time. We should have done it last year. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah. Gophers I mean, played, it, it, Gophers it, played it, seven games. Wouldn't it have been, been close? Won seven. Yeah, yeah. It would have been, it would have been seven to three. It would, oh, have, yeah. that close. <laughs> it would have been us eating tacos. <laughs> Although we probably tacos, couldn't have even gotten tacos because taco we, John probably closed. We, yeah, not in the Skyway. We did it in 2019 and actually it was great like it ended up being kind of fun because gophers ended up winning 11 games vikings won 10 it was like kind of nip and tuck down to the wire and you got the bowl game and I we didn't the get bowl the game. playoff game right so that those terms have changed this year I'm, I'm i'm giving you guys much better odds this year i'm giving you a potential vikings playoff game which you know yeah, it's oh, just maybe like a, it's like a you sweetener it's like future second round pick in the NBA kind of thing like you think it's something but it's not really anything but i'm also giving you you guys got an extra game this year we Period. we should we should explain the bet. Um, it's yeah. just in case people do don't that. remember, it is uh, basically Ben and I. At least last time we did this, came on down on the side that the Vikings are going to win more games than the Gopher football team, and yeah. so we're restarting that this year. And Mike Rand typically thinks the Gopher football team is going to win more than the Minnesota Vikings because he is our resident pessimist on a panel full of them right now. Um, I love the, I love this bet this year because it could go it really could go either way. Like we just talked about the variance for the Vikings. Like I think the Gophers are going to win at least six, maybe seven games, and I think eight or nine is not out of the question. I think this is going to be a good team. So if they don't start that schedule with South Dakota State this year, my man, yeah, yeah, no, they barely won it that year too. Um, but, yeah, because I remember that night we tweeted yeah. at you. I remember writing yeah. mm, tacos. Uh-huh, and they came back and somehow won. Yeah. They converted like a yeah, they, they converted like a third and twenty-seven in that yep. game and yep. came back and won. That was great. But uh, yeah, so the bet I'm willing to do it again. I'm willing to take the Gophers over the Vikings in in wins this year, more for amusement but i really think it could happen too 
Well, Ben, are you sticking on the side of the Vikings considering they have 17 games? You would think, you would think they have to win more than the Gophers. Yeah, I mean, so are we just keeping this the same where it's it's automatic that Andrew and I take the Vikings and you take the Gophers? No, 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 no. I, you, you can choose whatever side you want. I mean, we can't all choose the same side because then there's no bet. No, there would be no bet. Um, I, I, the question, I guess, would be, am I taking the Gophers or the Vikings? Let's see. Look at the schedule. Um, at Iowa late, Wisconsin at home. Indiana's ranked. Do we, we buy that? Is Indiana good? They were pretty Do good we last year. That? They were good last <laughs> Indiana. year. Indiana. I mean, come on. I know. Yeah, um, yeah I'm still taking the Vikings. Because the Gophers would have to win. The Vikings, I think, will find a way to win seven think, or eight. I think like the I think the betting market says like the Gophers over under number is seven and the Vikings is eight point five. So yep. you're getting pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, answer. I'll 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 uh, I'll stake some tacos on that. Okay. Yeah, I have Good to point. I have to agree. I do not think the Vikings are gonna fall short. And if they do, like let's say they end up going six and eleven, seven and ten, that still would take a really good gopher season, eight wins, nine wins to surpass that. And I just don't see it happening with I know it's Tanner Morgan and it's been a while since we've seen him in a normal season, but I still think with that quarterback, I would take uh, this Vikings team, everything they've got back on defense, their current healthy guys on offense with Dalvin cook, Thielen and Jefferson. I just think it's way too much. And I'm with Tanner Morgan. You want Kirk cousins. This is where this gets fascinating. And I would take Kirk cousins at this point and that Vikings defense, no matter how much Mike talks up the Gophers offensive line, their running game. I just don't see it happen. Not, the enough, that, we'll see. We'll see. The middle if, of that gopher schedule is pretty uh pretty soft. Purdue, it, Nebraska. Soft the, it's soft in the middle for sure. <laughs> it is at Purdue, Nebraska, Maryland, at Northwestern, Illinois. Then it gets for, tough at the end, right? It's like Iowa, Wisconsin, and Iowa, Indiana, Wisconsin at the end. So yeah, it 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 sets up for maximum drama right at the point where the Vikings schedule gets tough because that November go. schedule for the Vikings is at Baltimore. Uh, home against somebody or other um, at uh, the Chargers, home against the, the Packers, and then uh, I believe at San Francisco. The, they have three road games that month, two to, to the West Coast. So there's uh, there's some, some difficult moments for them in November as well. Uh, I guess it is just those four. It's Baltimore – the Chargers, uh, the Packers, and the 49ers after playing the Cowboys on Sunday night. All right, guys, let's get to a mailbag here because I think our taco bet is settled. I think we know Ben and I are going to fall on the side of the Vikings. Mike, you're on the side of the Gophers. Really the tougher stance to take, in my opinion, but I'll enjoy those tacos once you have to buy them for us. I was an underdog in 2019. Just want you guys to know that. And both teams you were really, also both set teams, the terms so that you got the bowl game. I did get the bowl game, and, and there was only 16 games that year. But both teams were really good that year. It was kind of fun. Yeah. It was fun more than anything. All right, let's get to our mailbag. We got questions here on Twitter. Again, you can always find our Twitter handles at startribune.com under our Vikings section, wherever you see our bylines. The Twitter handles usually not far behind. This question comes from. Good account titled Bishop Sycamore Public Relations. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to know how have the recent cuts, signings, and injuries affected your outlook on the Vikings season? Mike, how have the recent how's the recent news, whether it's the comings and goings, the Herb Smith injury, all that, how's that affected your outlook? I think, you know, it's 
I'm more pessimistic now than I was a couple months ago. I mean, I feel like when the schedule came out and we did a show, I was like 10, 11 wins. I was like, this is, you look at this team, you looked at them on paper, you're like, this feels pretty good. This and week, the, now you want to make a taco bed. And now I want, now I want to make a taco bed. Hello, you know, I mean, it's just like, it's, it, there's a vibe right now. And I think most of it's been on offense by and large. You know, the weird stuff has happened on offense, right? You had the, the coaches, or the you know, offensive line coach that was quarantined. You didn't get not doing his job anymore. You had, you know, you got a brand new coordinator, by the way, on, uh, on offense too. Um, you get, you know, the injury to Irv Smith. Yeah. The quarterbacks quarantine, you get BB out, you know, say what you want about that. You had the injury to Jefferson, which seems like it's going to be okay. But like a lot of the bad stuff and Darisaw, like we didn't even talk about the offensive line, like Darisaw not being there and still not knowing what they have in the offensive line. Like, that piece of it, like that side of the ball was the thing they had going for them last year. And it's, it's a lot, they've taken a lot of hits. Now I think the defense is going to be a lot better and not a lot of the weird stuff has happened to the defense. So what I'm still wondering about is if this defense isn't just like better, but they're like top eight, top 10, again, kind of back into that, you know, what Mike Zimmer wants. I still have a, a fair amount of optimism for this team, but I, the variance, it's just, it, the, it, you can, I can see more clearly now how this season could go bad than I could two months ago. Yeah. Ben, the star linebackers only disappeared for a month, but other than that, the defense, that. it's all right. They have a plan for him, don't they? That's, that's what Mike Zimmer says. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the, the backstory there is best I've been able to, to put it together is he's got a, a fairly long history of knee issues, had uh, meniscus surgery in 2014, I uh, had missed a little bit of time in training camp with that and kind of inflammation after that in 2015. And from my understanding has had to manage knee issues quite a bit throughout his career. And the, the best sense I've had is that some of those things are, are coming up to be an issue here. So it may just be caution. It may just be, this guy knows our defense really well. We don't need to worry about it that much. Let's just keep him off the field. But if you have to have him miss that much practice time to manage it, that's also concerning so yes we should mention that one as well that we have not seen anthony Barr in a month so um do i feel better or worse about this i i agree it has a vibe it's just the whole thing and i'm writing about this a little bit more for sunday but the whole thing has felt weird and this covid vaccine thing is hanging over all of it because there is a lot of internal tension about that and, and we've heard Mike Zimmer talk about it publicly, but behind the scenes, there's been a lot of internal tension about people wanting people to get vaccinated, people not wanting to get vaccinated, whatever. Um, that doesn't have to play into the, the season necessarily. If everybody stays healthy, everybody follows protocols, that's fine. But relationships, I think, are in a tricky spot. And does that factor into the way that a guy like Kirk Cousins plays does he take that stuff onto the field with him do we see him get to a point where just tension during the week factors into how he plays we have seen some of that before so that's why this whole thing to me I I think it's going to be really fascinating to cover because it could really go either way so I I don't know that I feel worse per se I, I guess I probably do a little bit with the Irv Smith thing simply because it's another example of the depth taking a hit and and them not having much margin for error there but yeah the whole thing has had a weird vibe and 
is it one of those years where that doesn't matter or is it one of those years where that's a, a harbinger of things to come? That's what we're, that's what we're about to find out. So buckle up. Yeah, it's really it's been a roller coaster going from the beginning of the offseason where the Daniil Hunter stuff was still hanging over. He wasn't reporting OTAs. Um, there was major questions, obviously, about that defense, and they hadn't brought in corners at this point. Jeff Gladney was still on the team and wasn't around. But and wouldn't now, you love to read more about that next week in the Star Tribune? The vibe, the vibe was really, really low um, there in terms of the beginning of the spring. And then all of a sudden at the end, they end minicamp with, you get Hunter back in, you sign Richardson, um, you brought in Breland, um, you don't need Jeff Gladney anymore. There was, there was kind of an upswing heading into the offseason just before training camp or the summer, I should say. And then ever since then, when you got into training camp, it's been downhill with the first starting with the Kirk Cousins COVID thing, Kellen Mond test positive. All their quarterbacks are quarantined except for Jake Browning. Jeff they Gladney gets cut. Gladney gets cut. They look horrible throughout the preseason because they're not playing any of their meaningful players. Eight of their stars didn't play a single down. Arguably eight of their best players, probably the best players on the team, didn't play a single down in the preseason. And, and one of their best players still got hurt, Herb Smith. And then the only skill guy they gave Kirk on the field in that finale was Herb, and he goes down. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, Chad Beebe, just a, a depth piece in this offense like BC Johnson was, and he went down as well. So you're just seeing this kind of whittle away a little bit. And it has left kind of a cloud, I think, over TCO Performance Center, where you just don't know going into this. If if all of their defense, if all the defenders, including Anthony Barr, line up week one, how it looks on paper, if that's what they trot out, I think it's going to look pretty good. But it's just a question of how long does it stay that way? And then can you make up for the fact that your top draft pick's not playing at left tackle? and that your top tight end is not going to be out there for the entire season. Those are big question marks. And maybe Cousins, Jefferson, Cook, and Thielen can overcome that, and, and the defense can do enough, and this becomes a winning football team. But uh, we've, we've talked about it a lot. They just don't have margin for error to really lose a lot of guys. And so to see them lose a guy like Irv already does does put a damper a little bit on this. Has, before we get to the next question, has there been any semblance of a Derisaw update? Um, is he just out indefinitely or do we know any more about him yeah i all i've been able to glean from this is that he was given a two to three week recovery timeline from the august 12th surgery however three weeks puts him right at today and he still was not practicing today and so clint kubiak was asked today about christian derisaw and he just spoke around it and said that they've got a plan for him they're trying to bring him back slowly all those things from what i've also heard they are very shook about how this re-injury occurred with derisaw to the point where they're not going to rush him back onto the practice field they're going to take a slow rehab timeline with him um, because the surgery he did did require an incision it did require them going in there no matter how minimally invasive people want to say a surgery is when you get cut open it's kind of a big deal so and then you've got a 320 pound guy dealing with a core muscle injury that's a whole nother set of problems so i think they've really wanted to bring him along slowly you're and I talk like an ulcer over here. It just, it's like you, I wish you could see my body language on this podcast. Cause I'm just like rubbing my temples and I'm like, yep. okay, great. That's why I bring it up. <laughs> and I, I talked to Rashad Hill too, after practice today. And he had said, I don't take this lightly. I know I'm going to be holding on to this job for a little bit. So he, he is understanding and going into this of like, this isn't just going to be a, an at Cincinnati thing. Rashad Hill is probably going to be the starter at Arizona. And then for the foreseeable future, until Derisaw can practice, and you know how NFL coaches are, they need to see the dude, they need to trust him, and then they need to put him out there. And so I, I would be surprised if we see Christian Derisaw even within the first couple of weeks at this point. So The other thing on the practice thing really quickly is 
the other thing you need to do is get your first team offense ready to play on Sunday. We're no longer in the point of the year where practice reps go toward guys you're trying to develop. The, the majority of practice reps at this point go to first team players. So until you're ready to have Darisaw be part of that, you're trying to walk this line of, okay, we need to get Rashad Hill ready to play whoever he's going to face on Sunday while trying to develop Darisaw. So that adds another factor to this whole thing as well. And who's the backup now that Hill has been elevated? That's uh, Blake Brandle. Blake Brandle. Yeah, Blake Brandle, I believe, was a sixth-round pick by the team a couple of years ago. Um, he's going to be the swing tackle at this point for them. And, and you know, I don't even know. Like, I, I, I don't think they would move Ole Udo or Ezra Cleveland out just because they don't feel too great about their backup guards at this point. But those are options as well from guys who were actually natural tackles that they moved out to guard. Um, we got a question. Feeling, Mike? What? How you feeling? Great. That makes me feel a lot better about the <laughs> offensive line. Let's look at Andrew. Next question. Yeah. We got a question from Rob. He wants to know who do you see with the most sacks or pressures opposite of Daniil Hunter? Uh, ben, what do you think? Does he mean in that spot or other than Hunter on the roster? Yeah. Let's just take it as number. Who's going to be second on the team in sacks this year, basically. Good question. I am going to say Sheldon Richardson. I think he's going to play somewhat of a, of a, a spot role, but I think he'll come in in advantageous situations, and I think he'll end up with five or six sacks. That wouldn't surprise me. Does Stephen Weatherly or DJ Wanham get that for you on the other side? I I don't know. I mean, I think maybe Wanham is going to get more of the snaps. I think, and it looks like they have some different things planned, but. Some of that, I think, is going to be dropping him into coverage. So I'm going to go Sheldon Richardson. I, I don't think that there's a necessarily a wrong answer to this question because I think it could come from a number of places, but uh, that's where I'm putting my bet. Yeah, Mike, what do you think? I'll say Everson Griffin just because he's the mm-hmm, that's an he's the too. he's the he's the you know he's the one you know he's looks like he's still got some pass rushing juice based on what you saw in that third preseason game. He kind of. It's not just ability at this point, too. He kind of, when you know the scheme, you kind of know where to go to get sacks. You kind of know where the pressure, you know, ideally, you know, even if you're not the first guy in, you kind of know where to go to clean up that stuff. And you could get a lot of not cheap, you know, not cheap uh, statistics that way. But, you know, when, when you, you know, can tackle that guy kind of coming forward for those two to three yard sacks, I can see Everson picking up enough of those that he's number two at the end of the year. Yeah, you guys got my two answers, too. I, I don't envision anybody else doing that. We just didn't see anything from Stephen Weatherly as far as a, a pass rush and DJ yeah. Wanham being such a young guy. I just don't envision that um, happening right away. So I, I think Everson, Sheldon, two experienced pass rushers who we know coaches are going to put them in situations to produce in those moments. So I just think they're going to get the most opportunities uh, as well. Um, let's get to another question here uh, from – oh, I lost it. Do you guys got one? No. no. Um, oh, here we go. We got we got one from uh, Vike Gang wants to know: Is there less of a good old boy mentality with the offensive line now that Rick Dennison isn't the position coach? He said releasing Dakota Dozier, Drew Samia leads me to believe so. Um, that's interesting. I, I don't know. Certainly, Dennison had a say in personnel, but in it, if if he did the previous years, it wasn't the same this year with him not being on the field with those guys. But Ben, what do you think about that? Considering the fact that 
you know, it's the front office making those calls, not always the coaching staff. Yeah. And Rick Dennison's still in the building. I mean, or at least he's still in the meetings. He's probably not in the building officially because he's not vaccinated, but he's still in the decision-making process. There's still opportunities for him to, to chip into things. And I, I don't know that we know that there's a, these are my guys thing with Dennison. I, I think it's been, if anything, it's a group decision and a guy like Dozier, I think I chalk up some of that to just that he was so bad that they couldn't really sugarcoat it. I think it was one of those things that, I mean, yes, he's still in the practice squad. He could still resurface, but given the way he played last year and then you put the preseason struggles on top of that, I just, I think it was one of those that it's, kind of obvious that you you have to move on or at least you can't count on him to start so i i don't know that that is a a change in mentality as much as it is just this guy isn't cutting it and we got to figure something else out that and dakota dojo is still part of this team <laughs> they just yeah. put him they it's probably one of those situations where they knew he, nobody else was going to go after him so you put him on the practice squad kind of stash him there and if you need a backup offensive lineman they could bring him up on game day um so i don't know Ben or Mike, does, does your outlook on the offensive line backups or just the young guys that the developing change at all, depending on who they kept here in this 53 man roster? Yeah, not, not so much. I mean, there is, you know, there is an element of, you know, if, if, um, you know, if Darisaw had been healthy, there's been some, a, a decent amount of turnover here. And, you know, even just, you know, the fact that, you know, Oli Udo is, you know, seems like he's ready now, or at least they're, they're saying he's ready now. And, you know, you, you feel good about Brian O'Neill. You're going to get another look at Garrett Bradbury. You're probably feeling okay about Ezra Cleveland. Like it has, it's turned over a fair amount in the last two or three years. I get the question now is just, can these guys play? Like, do you give them enough? Do they get enough reps together? Are they talented enough individually and as a group to foster any kind of meaningful improvement in what has been a subpar offensive line? All right. I got another question here in the DMs. From Josh, he wants to know why are we so confident in Greg Joseph? Why is he still the kicker on this roster? Um, ben, what's what's your answer to that? I don't have a great one. I he's the kicker, I think, because they haven't really explored a different one yet. I mean, I, I'm sure they've looked at their list, but I think until he misses a kick in a in a big spot, you probably don't disrupt the whole. They talk so much about the continuity of the operation with the punter, the holder, the kicker. Um, you hope you can work it out and you don't do anything drastic until you have to. So it's a little bit like surgery, I guess, in the sense that you try to find other ways to treat the problem before you have to go in and, and make an incision. So I think some of it has to do with that, but I, I certainly don't think that Greg Joseph has that job locked down for the year. If, if something happens where he's missing kicks that they have to have, or even if, if he's just missing a lot of kicks in general, I could see that being something that changes. Yeah. I don't know if he really played or kicked as well to lock down that job and kind of go through a wave of like, if he missed a few kicks like Dan Bailey did at the end of last year, I imagine they try to move on pretty quickly because uh, Greg Joseph was seven of nine in the preseason. He wasn't super consistent in camp. He had a good start to camp, but then uh, recent practices I'd watched of him, he was kicking five of seven, six of 10, it just wasn't the most consistent leg that you would have liked to have seen in these practices where you're really not tested a whole lot as far as opposing teams putting pressure on you. 
and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a question mark for sure. It's strange. It's strange to me that they didn't, you know, I know like reliable kickers, they, you know, if, if a team has one, they don't really get rid of them. So, you know, there's only so many of them out there, but that they didn't go into the year with somewhat more of a established plan. Like this guy hasn't kicked much in, in the NFL. And there's only other real competition was a rookie, right? An undrafted rookie that they had to, you know, wave with an injury injury designation. Like for a team that's had a lot of kicking turnover and a lot of kicking problems, it's an interesting way to go into a very important year. If you wanted to go get somebody, if if you just wanted a guy that's easy on the eyes, you know, who you could go get uh professional model Blair Walsh. Oh, <laughs> I just found out today he is uh he is a realtor and he is uh, modeling in California. Wait, what? This is news. You didn't to see me. this? No, I did not. What? Where, uh, where? This was in our. Uh, there, there's a fairly lively um, group thread among the beat writers. Let's just put it that way. And uh, somebody sent this along that he is. Uh, he has his profile saying he's a Cobalt Banker realtor, a former NFL All Pro, and a a model for uh, some agency in Newport Beach. And uh, has a, a picture of him uh, standing shirtless on a beach, uh, fairly high up in his Instagram. So, um, you know, he's available. I, I don't know that he's uh, <laughs> kicking a whole lot. And, you know, if that would, that's not going to happen. But I just wanted to bring up the fact that Blair Walsh is, uh, I just wanted people to, people probably were wondering about his whereabouts. I, um, I also did happen to notice that the LA or the Vegas Raiders put out a photo of their three specialists. Like, I think it was the kicker and the punter, like carrying the long snapper and holding them up. And of course the, uh, smiling kicker smiling ear to ear was Daniel Carlson. <laughs> I just got a kick out of that because, well, no pun intended moving on from Mike Zimmer as a kicker has got to be a decent feeling sometimes. <laughs> Blair looks happy. Uh well Blair Blair had his yeah his own issues that's for sure all right well Kai Forbath is still out there isn't he he's like the number eight kicker all time in terms of accuracy I don't know why they yeah yeah they they got cute and decided to move on he's always the guy that gets brought into some team you know week ten after their kicker goes down with groin surgery and he's the guy coming in to rescue the season he might be he might be never know (laughs) all right well I think that's all we're gonna have for you in this episode of the Access Vikings podcast we'll be back next week to start our regular season rotation previewing week one in Cincinnati. Maybe you should get off the podcast.